Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. We're covering everything from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. With grain prices high, this would have been a great year to have a big wheat crop in the Texas High Plains. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like that will happen. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. A Texas House committee passes an eminent domain bill that makes the process of eminent domain more fair and transparent for landowners. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. I had the opportunity to spend some time out in the big ranch country recently. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and I'll explain the term and more in my report from the Rolling Plains. We'll have those stories, plus news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Texas pecan production was higher in 2020, but producers received less money for their crop than in previous years. Jessica Domel explains. According to a new report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, more than 115,000 acres of trees bore pecans in 2020 in Texas. Yields averaged around 370 pounds of pecans per acre. That is 35 pounds higher than 2019 and up 70 pounds from 2018. Despite the impacts of freezing temperatures in part of the state in 2020, 42.6 million pounds of pecans were picked last year. That's 5.1 million pounds higher than the year prior. Producers received on average $1.52 per pound for their pecans. That is down 44 cents from 2019. All in all, Texas growers produced $64.79 million worth of pecans last year. That's down $8.7 million from 2019. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The situation at the border is very dangerous for Texas ranchers who call that area home. John Paul Schuster ranches in Kenny County. He says it's so bad that he and his family members are armed around the clock. My wife carries a pistol. Used to carry it every day in her truck, in her console, and now she wears it on her hip. I wear one on my hip when I'm out the ranch, take trash out, eat dinner. We have a loaded pistol laying on the dining room table. You just never know when the back door is going to get kicked in and so forth like that. We've got a security system for our house. Keys are hid everywhere, um, loaded, locked and loaded, ready to go now just to check cows, check heifers, take the trash out. Schuster describes the situation as overwhelming. The foot traffic, the high speed chases and so forth like that. Our ranch lays along Highway 90, um, which is a pretty major thoroughfare. We've had a bailout on us. We've had several visits to our house um, during the night and day. My wife's seen several groups at the ranch the signs of them, the backpacks, the clothes, the trash, the destruction, the stealing of um, UTVs, ATVs, pickups and things like that um, has become overwhelming. And Schuster is afraid of the financial impact this is going to have on his ranch as they derive a big portion of their income from hunting. And he's afraid those hunters just may not show up this year. The hunting is a major important 
factor in our economic income for the ranch every year. And um, our hunters are family-oriented, wives, kids, uh, the whole group comes out and visits with them and hunts and stuff. I'm very concerned that they're going to say no this year, or they're going to back out, or half of them are going to back out, and the other half won't, can't afford to pay the difference or the balance. So um, I look for us to have a substantial loss in hunting income. Then that those hunters not coming through our communities, um, our small little feed store there in town not selling that corn and cotton seed and hunting supplies and our grocery stores not getting hit up um, by our hunters and those guys coming in for the weekends and stuff like that. You can find more border farm and ranch testimonials on our website, texasfarmbureau.org. It's looking like this may not be a very good wheat crop on the Texas High Plains this year. James Hunt tells why. For much of our region, we shouldn't expect wheat harvest to be in full swing until next month. But already, Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell says the outlook for grain production is pessimistic. We are looking at overall a reduction in grain yields. And that really is a shame because grain prices are strong and wheat prices are better than they have been in quite a while. And in the end, whatever other threat came wheat's way this season, lack of rain was the big issue. Although we have been concerned about cold weather both in February as well as this late freeze in April, the drought has really been the most limiting factor. But although many of our area wheat farmers might miss out on those strong grain prices, Bell says there are alternative routes for farmers to market what they have out in the field. We are seeing producers who are really evaluating if they will take their wheat to grain or possibly even just cut it for hay. And so forage, whether it's the form of hay or in the form of silage, people are definitely making that consideration and looking at forage markets and the positive prices they are seeing in that area as well. And the good news there, especially when it comes to silage, as we've discussed many times previously, the local demand is high. As we have looked at the forage demand within our livestock industry from both beef cattle as well as the dairy industry, we have seen that the winter small grain forages have started to fill what we call the silage gap. A gap, Bell says, has been created by the fact that water limitations have restricted silage production from summer crops like corn and sorghum. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Eminent domain reform is making its way through the Texas legislature. Tom Nicoletti has an update from the state capitol. For more details on this, we go to Joy Davis. She is Texas Farm Bureau Associate Legislative Director in Austin. Joy, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Tom. Now, the House Land and Resource Management Committee has passed uh, House Bill 2730 by Representative uh, Joe Deschotel of uh, Beaumont. And, Joy, what uh, does this legislation call for? This is a good bill for landowners that makes the process of eminent domain a little bit more fair and transparent. It's got a few qualities in it that we support that requires the landowner to get an initial offer where it's clear whether or not it includes damages to the remainder. It also requires the landowner to get an easement agreement with standard terms to protect their property rights. It improves the landowner bill of rights that landowners will get either with or before the initial offer. And it also creates a penalty for land agents that act unethically and lowball landowners. So a lot of aspects of the bill that uh, should appeal to farmers, ranchers, and uh, and landowners. How is it similar to uh, what uh, Representative Dwayne Burns of Cleburne has proposed? 
Well, actually, ever since uh, the bills were heard in the House Committee on March 30th, Representative Burns has been in intensive negotiations with the, the industry, and they came up with negotiated language, and this is that language. Chairman Deschatel, being the chairman, uh, wanted to pass his bill out, so he took this language, subbed it into his. So this is the agreed-to language from landowners, from the oil and gas and pipeline and transmission line industry. This is the language that everyone signed off on. And uh, so certainly this uh, language will uh, help improve property rights for uh, landowners moving forward in the future pending uh, total approval by the Texas legislature. Yes, we've been trying to move the ball on this issue for several years now, and we feel like this is a good first step on trying to make the eminent domain process just a little bit more of an even playing field for landowners. Of course, we're not fully there yet. We'd We'd like to get more, but we've got to start topic away and, and make things better for landowners. What's the next step for HB 2730, Joy? Well, right now, as you said, it's been reported out of the House Committee. It is in the Calendars Committee, and what that committee does is set the calendar for the House floor. So we're waiting to see what day it'll be set on the House floor. From the state capitol, that is Joy Davis, Texas Farm Bureau Associate Legislative Director. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Big Ranch Country has a long history of ranching in our state. Barry Mahler took a recent trip around that region and has this report. I had the opportunity to spend some time out in the big ranch country here in North Texas recently, and I'm always inspired by the rustic beauty of the region. You may not recognize the term big ranch country, so let me explain. If you drew a line, say, from Vernon to just east of Abilene and went west of there, that would be the big ranch country of Texas. And while it's still in the rolling plains, it is the area where many of the large acreage ranches were established. I'm talking about the Wagner, Four Sixes, Pitchfork, Circle Bar, and others. These are ranches that are in the 20,000 to 100,000 acre size, and many have been operated for generations. The area tends to be a little lower in rainfall than property in East Texas, but raises some pretty strong grass with the rain they receive, and although the stocking rate may not be as dense as some would like, well, that's part of the reason why they include so many acres. The area is a good home to many cow-calf operation and has abundant wildlife. Several of the ranches are changing hands lately due to generational swaps and, well, just general demand to own land, but others are carrying on and working to find ways to increase the profitability and keep this historic area productive. I was on the Circle Bar Ranch at Truscott for the Big Country Helicopter to Hog Hunt, and Jerry Bob Daniels shared some of the history of the ranch. Growing up as a cowboy, his dream was to manage a large ranch, and with the help of his wife, they've been able to not only manage it, but own it, and are now handing off some of the management to the next generation and their son, Colton. While Colton is focused on a traditional cattle operation, he's also involved in activities to broaden the spectrum of the ranch, and one way that Daniels family shares that heritage is by hosting the Big Country Helicopter Hog Hunt for Veterans. The third weekend in April each year, the population of Truscott swells from just a few to several hundred people as they bring in military veterans from across the country for a weekend outing, including hunting feral hogs from a helicopter, an elaborate gun range with target competition, good food, and fellowship. The event starts on Thursday evening with a welcome ceremony and continues through Sunday morning when the vets depart with a smile on their face and many new friends. A lot of people can 
contribute to the event that is offered at no cost to the veterans. Dustin Johnson, owner of Cedar Ridge Aviation of Knox City, provides the helicopters for the hut and does a great job as he's very familiar with the region. The event is looking forward to its eighth year in 2022 and becoming more and more popular. It's just another way that agriculture gives back to the community. Share some history and you can bet I will mark my calendar for the event every year. This is Barry Mahler reporting from North Central Texas for Texas Ag Today. Texas landowners are being recognized for their conservation practices. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And fractures in the backs of racehorses are more common than previously thought. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Fractures in the backs of racehorses are more common than previously thought. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd explains. Dr. Liz Collar indicated at the AAEP convention that lumbar vertebral fractures can be catastrophic for racehorses and the jockey. The lumbar area is about three to four hand widths behind the rear of the saddle, and these fractures occur more commonly in quarter horses than thoroughbreds. Now, at the University of Tennessee, Dr. Collar's study looked at anatomical findings in the lumbosacral spine of 16 quarter horses that were euthanized for reasons other than lumbosacral disease, and the horses were newborn to 22 years of age, including only one racehorse. Interesting findings were that out of the 16 horses, all had six lumbar vertebrae except one that had five vertebrae. Almost 70% of the horses had disease in the facet joints where the vertebral processes attached to the spinal processes, and 62% had disease of the intervertebral disc. So over 60% of the horses had disease in their spinal area, and since the study included very young horses, it is likely most mature quarter horses have some degree of spinal disease that increases as they age. Nine of these horses had lesions in the bones indicating regions of stress and could lead to a stress fracture. Also, 92% of the horses had some cartilage retention in the growth plate that should have become bone, and this indicates stress in the growth plates not found in other areas of the horse's body. Conclusions of her study were that lumbosacral growth plates are inactive in quarter horses by two years of age, and disease in the horse's lower back seems to be much more common than was previously thought. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas landowners are being recognized for their conservation practices. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is recognizing a handful of landowners and a cooperative for their work to preserve and conserve our state's natural resources. 
Justin Dreibelbliss, director of TPWD's Private Lands and Public Hunting Program, says the Lone Star Land Steward Awards recognizes private landowners for their contributions to land, water, and wildlife stewardship. The Lone Star Land Steward Awards is a landowner recognition program that we've had here at Parks and Wildlife since 1996. It's an effort for us to pat landowners on the back for exemplary private land stewardship and also capture those inspirational ranching heritage and land stewardship stories to share with other landowners in hopes that they develop that same type of land ethic and institute some of the same management practices on their property. This year's Eco Region Award winners are Morgan O'Connor, Kelly Shar, and Bridie Greason of the Dunn O'Connor River Ranch in Goliad County. The Kelly W. Walker family of Seven Oaks Ranch in Crockett and Valverde counties, Parton Wakefield of Shady W. Ranch in Brazos County, Ted and Hank Pop of the Chimney Creek Ranch in Shackleford County, Catherine and Lynn Crittenden of Moore Ranch in Jeff Davis County, and the Brushy Creek Co-op in Anderson County. The eco-region winners were named in 2020, but due to the coronavirus pandemic, TPWD did not host an event to recognize them last year. So they will all be honored this year in a virtual banquet at 6 p.m. on May 27th. Again, today's comments were from Justin Dreibelbliss from Texas Parks and Wildlife. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market saw some decent gains on Friday despite climbing corn prices. Jessica will be back with a look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Demand for U.S. beef remains strong in grocery stores and restaurants as more and more Americans are vaccinated for the coronavirus and municipalities relax coronavirus restrictions. Live cattle for June up 55 cents to 116.02. Live cattle for August up 37 cents to 118.85. May feeder cattle up $1.25 to $131.72. August feeder cattle up $0.87 cents to $144.27. September feeder cattle up $0.50 cents to $146.05. Boxed beef prices were mixed Friday. Choice down $0.41 cents to $305.96. Select up $3.04 to $292.40. Now let's check the livestock auctions. We're walking the pins with Larry Marble. Let's head out to Angelo, San Angelo, for you folks that aren't local, and talk to Benny Cox from Producers in Cargyle about the sheep and goat sale. Benny Cox, how did the uh, thing go? No, we sold 80, actually 80, 97, so 8,100, you know, take off 
you know, 13,000 versus that. This is back more than norm for this time of year. And we got along quite well compared with the week before. We we didn't have very many wolf feeder lambs. Of course, they're all going to that, that kill deal. But the wolf feeder lamb type, they sold mostly steady. On your slaughter lambs, they were 8 to $15 higher. Uh, most of the sale, they kind of softened up a little toward the end. On the slaughter ewes, they sold near steady. Uh, kid goat, they sold from 5 to $10 higher, especially on the better kind. But they were all a little better. You know, last week, they weakened up on those kind of tweeners. You know, I, if you'll remember, I quoted those fancy kind steady and as much as 20 lower on some of those teeter kind or whatever you want to call them. Uh, Sandys, 150 to 220. They were better, though. The bulk of them sell between 195 and 217. Uh, mature bellies, 210 to 255. That's pretty much unchanged. Uh, the range on these wolf feeder lambs was 256 to 282. We had some really little bitty knots that brought up there in that 290 or something like that, but that's not even, you know, they weren't even marked or whatever. So right. I wouldn't consider them wolf feeder lamb type. You know, if they're not castrated, those feedlot guys, they don't like them. But anyway, slaughter lambs, these hair sheet type, a little, little into those, 260 all the way to 312. Uh, heavier weights from 230 to 280. On the slaughter use from 90 to 144, but mostly 115 to 134. It goes in a range from 350 to 476, but mostly 415 to 447. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Benny Cox. They can call me on my mobile. It's 325. 325- Two three four four two seven seven office same area code six five three 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 seven one. Or they can always look at the web, which is producersandcargal.com. I'm your host, Larry Marble. Texas neighbors, good day to you. Just like we've seen an increase in beef demand, we're also seeing an increase in pork demand due to more people eating out. Lean hogs for June down a dollar sixty-two to one twelve eighty-five. Class three milk for June down three cents to eighteen ninety-eight a hundredweight. Hard red winter wheat for May up 10 to 7.27 and three quarters. U.S. corn traded higher on Friday due to concerns that the second Brazilian corn crop may not produce as much as originally anticipated due to extreme drought. Corn for May up 13 and a quarter to 7.72 and three quarters. September corn up nine and a quarter to 6.54 and three quarters. The soybean market responded to tighter old crop supplies on Friday. Soybeans for May up 15 and a half to 16.21. Soybeans for July up 20 and a quarter to 15.89 and three quarters. Looking at the financial markets, the Dow was up 232 points Friday to 34,783. The S&P 500 was up 34 points to 4,235. The Nasdaq closed higher 138 points to 13,771. All of those markets up despite a disappointing jobs report released on Friday. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Remember, we'll be right here next time to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel. Y'all have a good day. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.